Please be seated. Let me invite you once again to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. We are in our second week of a series that will take us up to Christmas time, or at least to December, and then we'll pick up again in January. Uh, it's looking at the kingdom parables that Jesus has given to us, as Matthew records in chapter 13. If you were here last week, we began this study uh, looking at two pictures that Jesus has given us of the kingdom through two men who both had gone out and stumbled upon a treasure, something that was of significant value, liquidated everything they had in order that they might have it. And Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that treasure. The kingdom of heaven, as we discussed last week, is something that is of infinite worth, that is worth far more than anything else that you could possess and worth any sacrifice you might have to be part of the kingdom of heaven. And my hope is that that shaped our perspective and that that perspective will help us understand it and frame uh, what we as believers uh, value and how we see the kingdom. Now we're backing up and starting at the beginning and using uh, the parables as in the order that Jesus has given them to us as we look at this morning at a very familiar passage. Our consideration this morning will be verses 1 through 23, but we'll just read uh, verses 1 through 9 this morning. 1 through 23, Jesus in 1 through 9 gives us the parable. Uh, then afterwards, he explains why he teaches in parables, and then he gives uh, the, uh, the cheat sheet and explains the answers to this parable, what, what, what it is that this parable means. So we're going to assume the end and we'll, we'll deal with that, but for our reading, we'll look at verses 1 through 9. And so if you'll read with me, beginning in verse 1, let us hear God speak through his holy word. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. May the Lord bless us and give us understanding from his word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to this point where we commit ourselves to not only reading and hearing your word, but to your word. I pray that your spirit would be at work within us in accordance with your promise. For Lord, our intellectual prowess, though may be great among some, uh, lesser among others of us, nevertheless are not, is not sufficient. We do not come to understand the truths and the riches of the kingdom by our efforts or even our giftedness. It is your gift to us. And so we pray, Lord, that we would be as those who are willing to receive from you, not only these words that come from the lips of our Master, but the truth that would be impressed upon us that we would understand by the wisdom of your Holy Spirit. 
In this way, Lord, shape us that we might become more like Christ, to think like Him, to love what He loves, and ultimately to begin to look like Him in our way, in our way of life. This is our desire, and this is Your plan for us. And so we pray with great confidence, and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. The name of Charles Brooks is probably not one that is familiar to most of you unless you went to high school with somebody named Charles Brooks. But that's not the Charles Brooks I have in mind. I'm quite sure that the Charles Brooks I have in mind did not go to high school with anyone in this room. Because the Charles Brooks that I have in mind in, in uh, March of 1896 did a patent for a, 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 um, a street brusher, a, a street cleaning, street sweeping machine. This machine, he had attached onto the front uh, brushes that would somehow rotate, and they were attached to the, to the fender, and as it moved along, it would sh sweep a street. And he also, for the first time, attached a receptacle that was better able to contain the debris that got swept up from the streets. And so he went and created a patent. He didn't invent the street sweeper. He simply improved it and made it more of what it, it we see today. Now, just for incidental purposes, he also made the brushes interchangeable with scrapers, and for those who live in snow area, he could pull the brushes off, put the scrapers, and so he was also our first snowplow uh, for the area. Now, why is that important, other than to demonstrate to you that I'm just chock full of useless, trivial information? It's not really important other than it, it tells us that sometimes we know of a lot of things in our life that People who didn't invent things nevertheless are responsible for making them significantly better. And so is true for Jesus. For Jesus is not the inventor of parabolic teaching or teaching in the form of parables. That had been a long-standing tradition. But when Jesus came along, he, he, he took that up and he elevated the, the benefit. He took it to new heights in order that those who would hear and were blessed by his teaching would have new depths of insight into their own lives, and into the kingdom of God, and into the ways of God. And among all of Jesus' parables, there's probably not one that is better known or more widely known than the one that we are considering today, often known as the parable of the sower, sometime parable of the seed, or the seed and the sower, whatever you want to label it. Uh, anybody who has understanding of the Bible, for most people who have some understanding of the Bible, they have, at one time or another, come across this particular parable. And so I'm dealing here, I understand, with words that we are familiar with, and I may even declare a message or encourage you with words, with an idea that you're familiar with. But it's important as we look what Jesus has said to consider it, to think of it new, uh, anew, or to be renewed by it. And so as we begin, I just want to kind of define some things so that we're all on the same page. The first thing that we need to understand, it's not a, a really a point to develop, but just so we know what we're talking about, when Jesus is talking about a sower, he's, he's just simply talking about a farmer. The guy is going along and he's scattering his seed. He's scattering it somewhat indiscriminately. I'm not a farmer, but it seems to me he must not be a particularly good farmer if he can't see that some soil is in the midst of a thorn bush. But nevertheless, this is the guy that Jesus is describing. And so the guy is going along and he's casting a seed. So essentially he is a, a farmer. And the seed, as we see it in this parable, should be understood to be the word of God. In specific, it is the gospel, the word of our redemption, our restoration, and our reconciliation with God through Christ, and particularly Christ's shed blood. The seed of the gospel, the seed of the word of God, is what Jesus has in mind when he's talking about 
about the seeds here. And, and that's not just a fancy idea for a metaphor. We see that elsewhere in Scripture. Both Peter and Paul use similar metaphors when they're talking in their letters. Peter says in, in 1 Peter 1.23, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. And so he's using the idea of the Word of God, uh, and it is by the Word of God that we are made alive, that we are born again. But we are born again not just by all the words of God, as beautiful and important as they are, but the specific ones that point us to what Christ has done, the Word of the Gospel. There's a lot of words of God that are helpful instruction, but you can have them and follow them, and the Proverbs come to mind, but they're not what gives us life. They are what shapes the wisdom that we have in life. And so Peter, when he's talking about using the analogy of, of a seed or, uh, that, is, uh, that is alive and that it is bearing fruit and making us alive, very similar to what Jesus is talking about here in, in this parable. Paul also does it in Colossians 1.6 when he talks about the gospel, it is bearing fruit all over the world, even it has been doing among you since the time you heard it. And so there we understand that Paul is using a metaphor talking about the fruit of the gospel, bringing people to life, and then producing fruit. And it's not just, uh, it's around the world, but it's an ongoing production of fruit, even in the people who have heard. And so he's using a, a similar metaphor that the word of God, the specific message of the gospel, it bears fruit in our lives. And so we have the picture here of Jesus, uh, Jesus telling us about a farmer going out and scattering the seed we need to see that as the gospel that is just being thrown out indiscriminately, no matter what the soil, no matter who the people are. And as Jesus tells a story, he, as you already are aware, he tells us of four types of soils in which the gospel is to fall into or which the seed fell into. Some of it is a, a hard soil. It's on a, the footpath. It's just really hard ground. And so when the, the seed hits it, uh, the birds come along and pick it up because it can't, doesn't go into the ground at all. He talks about a shallow soil uh, that has, uh, has some topsoil, something that it can, it can go down, the seed can be buried in, it can spring up, but there's no depth, so there can be no root in it. He talks about a, a soil that is in a thorn-infested area, so while it may grow, no fruit can bear, come out of it because it just gets choked up by uh, the prickly things, the, the, the thorns and, and other things that are, are stronger than the, than the delicate fruit. And then he talks ultimately about a good soil in which when the seed goes in, it is able to grow, it is able to bear fruit, and it is able to multiply and be spread. And so we're familiar with that, and we need to, again, we need to lay that down because Jesus is talking about these soils, and we'll come back to those in a moment. But with that understanding, we also need to see this, that there are two primary applications of this. There's one truth, but two ways in which this parable can be applied. One is the way that we may have studied it a number of times, which is, it talks about the seed of the gospel in the world, essentially evangelism. When the seed of the gospel goes out in the world, what is the result? And we're going to look at that next week. But there is another application and a way that Jesus' story should be applied, and it's a way that should be applied to us, most of us who are here today, who are already professing Christians, because it's not just a word of how the gospel applies in the soil of the world, but this is a lesson for us as well, because it is the application is the seed of the gospel in the heart of the Christians. It's, it's the same teaching for us that we may grow in his grace, the same grace that brought us to him. Now, that may seem unusual, but we do need to see very clearly the first thing as we lay a foundation is that this, is, this parable speaks to us as 
believers. This is not just a parable for unbelievers, or we might call them pre-believers, those who are among the elect that God is speaking to, and then they'll hear, they'll believe, and then the initial fruit will be born in their life, or they will be born again. Jesus says, he who has an ear, let him hear. Now, if we were to phrase that in another, other words, he's saying, if you have an ear, listen. Listen up. And so that's rather indiscriminate. Most of you have at least one ear. They may not be good ears, but you've got them. I can see them. And so he's speaking to anyone, in, in essence, who has, has an ear. Calvin writes this as he's considering this passage. He says, this warning. Now, the reason he says it's a warning is because when Jesus says, he who has an ear, uh, let him hear, it's also an indictment of those who will not hear or saying they're deaf, they're hard, they will not understand. And so it's a warning for those who will not hear, but it's also an encouragement for those who are willing to hear. And so he deals with the beginning as, as a warning. He says, this warning will help us the more when we realize that there is no mention here of despisers who openly repulse God's word. It is concerned only with those who seem to be teachable. What Calvin, again, is, is saying is, look, the, Jesus is not talking here, and, he, and even in the context, he's not dealing with people who hate him, hate the message of God, who are opposed to him, here as he is in, in many circumstances. Here there was a crowd. People were wanting to hear what he had to say. He got away from the crowd, pulled out onto the water to allow the water to amplify his words so that he could speak to people who were interested in what it is that he had to say. That was the context. He's not talking about people who are opposed. He's not confronting them. He's just casting this out for anybody who was interested in hearing, anybody who was willing to be taught. And that would include both believers or seekers, uh, believers and seekers alike. As I consider this, it's important for us to note that I, I think this is a reminder for us that we never, never, never move beyond the gospel. That everything we know and everything we do and everything we have understood from the scripture either points to the gospel or flows from the gospel. We don't go beyond it. We don't go past it. We simply grow deeper in it so that it might bear more fruit in our lives. We don't go past it because Jesus is giving the seed of the gospel to anyone who is willing to hear. Not a confrontation so that it will break the hearts of those who are hard-hearted and hate him, but he's giving this indiscriminately to anyone who is teachable. We need to understand that the gospel is essential for us, whether we have never understood it and to come to faith, and it's essential for us who are already in the faith. I know it's not a new message, but as God's word speaks us to us, we need to be reminded, and it also lays a foundation for where we go. And we tend to forget this, and we tend to think that the gospel is the ticket in, and now that we have the t ticket in, that we believe that Jesus died for us and that he rose again, that we have salvation by trusting in him, now we're in, and now we're to live, and we grow by our own strength, our own effort, and our own commitment to following the rules that he laid out for us, or following the way that he laid out to us, if that is more palatable to understand. It's a very common understanding, and if you look at it from a diagnostic, and just look at it as a description standpoint, it does seem to make sense, because we did come to salvation by that, and now we want to see our lives change and to grow, but, and it's easy to mistake that the growth that takes place in us is still the power of God within us. It's a very common thing. Martin Luther dealt with us a lot, and he tended to be, with his sharp mind and sharper wit, very confrontational in the things that he would say. And people would come regularly, he would see them, and they fell into this idea that their 
progress in the Christian life was going to come by their own energy, by their own efforts. And so one of the things that he would regularly do is he would ask them a question. If you were going to get better by your own commitment and your own effort, then why do you need Jesus today? I know why you needed him in order to get in. But do you need him today? See, there's a vast difference between liking someone, wanting someone, enjoying someone, and needing someone. For many of us, it's very easy to shift from the understanding that we are in constant need of Jesus to the thinking that we needed Jesus to get in, we love Jesus, we want to honor Jesus, we want to serve Jesus, we even want to become like Jesus, but we don't think about the fact that we are in need of Jesus today, every bit as much as we were the day when we first met him, or our eyes were open and we saw him for who he is. When Jesus is teaching this par- in this parable that he's speaking to believers, not just to unbelievers, to anyone who has an ear, anyone willing to be taught, anyone to hear, he's reminding us of the need that we have of the seed of the gospel in our hearts, in our lives, as an ongoing, on an ongoing basis. The reason for that is because in the course of life, we get knocked off course. And the reason for that is because in the course of life, we get worn down, we get rubbed down. It's like my lawn at times, sometimes it flourishes, and other times you see patches all over the place. Sometimes there are brown spots. Usually when we've had a bunch of our teenagers out playing ball a lot, and then our lawn kind of gets worn down. Some spots still look nice, other spots don't. If you are a lawn fanatic, which I am not, you, uh, you would probably notice all the brown spots, and there's nothing uglier than a partially nice lawn and an ugly part of the lawn. You know, it either should be all ugly or all pretty, but nothing in between. Mine is almost closer to the always all ugly, but occasionally it looks good. And the only way to make it all good is to reseed it. You know, if your lawn thins out or if, the lawn, if it starts to wear down, then those who are uh, trying to make their lawn look good, they'll go through a regular process to prepare the soil, they'll prepare the ground, they'll reseed it, and as the seed springs, it blends in with the seed that has already borne the fruit, and then your lawn begins to look lush and healthy again. And our lives are a lot like that. Because while we may have flourished at some point, you know, it, it, life happens. And sometimes we get worn down, and sometimes we have rough spots, and sometimes we are just uh, not as, as vibrant appearing as we once had been. And we are in need of reseeding on a regular basis. And that comes by hearing and hearing the gospel over and over again in different forms and different ways, but just hearing the message of the gospel. The gospel is our only hope if we are to have a a healthy life, whether that's spiritual, whether that's emotional, even relational. In every aspect of our lives, the gospel comes and it bears fruit in us and it blossoms in, in those ways. So the first thing that we need to see as we consider this passage is that it is speaking to us, even if you are a believer. It's speaking to you if you are not a believer, because Jesus says if you have ears, let you hear, and it talks about the importance if you're going to have what you want. But even as believers, we haven't moved beyond that point. We are in constant need of continuing to be at work. But with that understanding, we also need to see the primary point that Jesus is laying out here. If it's speaking to us as believers, then what this parable is teaching us is this parable is actually a call for us to examine our hearts. If our hearts, if our lives are like soil, 
then we need to examine and to understand what the soil is like. Now, even though I was able to flawlessly use an illustration of lawn care, I am not a soil expert of any type. I am not a gardener. My wife will let me near her garden only to mow the lawn around it. Other than that, she says, keep out, and, uh, and we'll all be happier. And uh, because I have a black thumb that I can make a cactus suck for Gatorade. I mean, that's, uh, doesn't, you know, that's, uh, and so I'm not allowed in the garden. So I'm not an expert by any stretch. But I did live in Oklahoma. I was in high, my, during my teen years, and as a freshman in high school, I had to take Oklahoma history. Now, I know I've lost some of you already, and I wonder what in the world does that have to mean. But in Oklahoma history, we had to study an important era in the history of that state during the 1930s middle 1930s, an era called, uh, that was known widely as the Dust Bowl period in Oklahoma history. Some of you have read about it in Steinbeck's Grapes of Wrath or seen the movie, but in that period where Oklahoma had just literally became a dust bowl, the soil had eroded to such a point that nothing was growing, and when the wind swept over the plains of the Midwest, it just kicked up all the dust and it continued to collect until the skies had blackened. You couldn't walk. Everything was covered with dirt and soot. People had to wear scarves over their mouth. Cattle in the fields were dying because as the dust was just collecting and being blown everywhere, people were breathing and animals were breathing and it was settling in their lungs and creating all sorts of problems and even, even a lot of deaths as a result of it. Now, what I learned in my Oklahoma history class is there were causes of the soil getting that way. One was because there was a severe drought that lasted for a couple of years, and so with no no water, obviously things be, were able to get dusty, nothing was holding it down. But the other thing that was interesting is that what prepared the soil to be like that was decades of farming on that land without rotating crops. Apparently what happens if you plant the same thing over and over again in the same place, that the crop that you're planting sucks the nutrients, essential nutrients, out of the soil to a degree that the soil is really good for nothing. And having, at that point, they were not rotating their crops, and so the, the soils uh, just were lacking the nutrients to be able to sustain or produce anything. And so not only was it dead, but then their de the deadness of the soil was causing death all around it. Now, in a real sense, Jesus is saying to us, our souls, are, he says our souls are like soil. And I think that there's a picture of that because our souls... Jesus gives us these four types of soil because our souls and our, are, are in constant state of flux. And Jesus gives us these soils so that we would be able to examine our hearts and to discern, where am I right now? What is the soil of my heart like? He gives us these four soils, and he talks about first the hard soil, where the seed goes, but it doesn't take up any root because it's just too hard. And our hearts become like that from time to time. We hear the gospel. Maybe we had great joy of it at some point, but now we just hear it and it just kind of lays there. It doesn't bring joy. We don't really see beauty. We know what it should be, but it's not, it's not doing what we would expect, and we don't even care. That's not uncommon even for believers. You might ask, what is it that causes that? And the answer is, very simply, more times than not, it's just sin. It's not just something that, well, I don't mean to slough that off, but sin comes, is something that we all wrestle with. We're, none of us are immune to it. Paul talks about it in Galatians. If you are breathing and a believer, then you have a war that's going on between, within you. You have the Holy Spirit. It is growing you in godliness, but you have your own flesh that's still alive and kicking, and they're at war. 
And when we allow the flesh and we, uh, to, to rule, then sin comes into our life. We don't deal with it. It takes up root. It seems benign, but it begins to harden. And our hearts begin to harden to such a degree that the gospel no longer penetrates. It's not an issue of losing salvation. It's just an issue of losing the joy of the salvation that we have. And the gospel isn't shaping us. It's not changing us. It's not taking root. It's not bearing fruit. He talks about another soil. It's a soil that is very shallow. And sometimes we see in evangelical Christianity, and it may be the way you grew up, in a large sense, it's the way in my early Christian days, it was about learning certain facts and then going and doing a bunch of stuff. And yet my understanding was significant, it was very shallow. In a shallow soil, there is something on the top, and the soil and the, the seed is able to be buried in there, and it, it really is in there, and it grows up. But there's no roots. And so ultimately, when life heats up, it, it just fizzles away. And life is hard. And sometimes th- we go through difficulties. We feel like we're going through a fire. And if our understanding of the gospel, if our hearts are prepared only to allow the gospel to penetrate so far, well, then what's going to happen is the joy and the fruit that we desire in our lives is going to dry up when things get hard in life, when things get hot. Jesus talks about another soil, which is the one that is uh, along the thorns and thistles. That while it takes root and begins to grow, no fruit is able to grow because of the strength of the, uh, of the thistles and the briar and the briar patch. He says it's the cares of the world when he interprets this. The cares of the world comes and chokes out any fruit from your life. For a long time I looked at that, and as I, I read that and I thought about that, I was thinking of cares of the world as worldliness. In other words, I want to be a Christian, but I also want to be a millionaire. don't know why, just think that's what I need. I like the cash, or I want the fame, or I want success. The things themselves are, are, are not inherently bad, but they are the objects, and God is just an addendum to my life and maybe even a means to help me accomplish another agenda, but in no way subordinating my agenda to what his agenda might be. And so I, I thought of it as speaking to that, and I think it does speak to that idea, that the idea of giving yourself to Christ but never giving yourself to Christ. But it speaks to something else that may be more pertinent for many of us. Because he's not, as I look at this again and I think about the cares of the world that he uses, there's no tainted language there. He's not speaking of only things that are bad or things that are contrary. The cares of the world are also good things in your life that we have to deal with, but if we are not aware of the effect that it is having on our soul or our spirituality, it can sap our energy and our fruitfulness. It could be a thing that is, that is, is a important, a beautiful thing. You may be a parent who has a, a sick child. And what is a parent with a sick child to do? To tend to the child, to demonstrate love, to pour yourself out, to try to bring healing or at least comfort to the child. The sickness may go on for a length of time. If you've dealt with somebody, a child or a spouse or a parent, somebody who's been sick for a long time and you've been tending and doing the exact things that you need to do, that Christ would have you to do, what's the effect on you emotionally? What's the effect maybe even spiritually? For me, I get drained. It's not that I shouldn't be doing this. It's just that life sometimes is hard. It could be a period in your job, in your work. It could be in your studies. You're doing what you need to do. There's nothing wrong with what you're doing. You're doing all of the right things. 
But life is sometimes hard. And when you're focusing your attention on all the things that you need to do in life, that can choke out the fruitfulness. The answer is not to stop doing those things. It is to be aware of the effect of the cares of life in our hearts, in our spiritual vitality. So Jesus is laying these things out not as a condemnation. He's saying this is just the way it is. It's a reminder that our hearts are often in a state of flux and that we need to be aware of what our heart is like. Is our heart presently good soil for the gospel to go in? And when we find that our heart is like any of these first three soils, the answer is not, well, you know what? You're a mess. Clean yourself up and come back to me. That's just contrary to the whole message of the gospel in the first place that Jesus is pointing to when he says we need the seed. The seed is about what Jesus has done to bring us into relationship to him when we are dry, when we are choked out of having any fruit, when we have joylessness in our faith, when our faith is wavering and we are entertaining and maybe even driven by doubts. Jesus is saying, be aware of your heart, the condition of your heart. And if you're aware of the condition of your heart, now we can do business. Because if you're not aware of it, the condition will linger and it will last. But when you are aware of it, what Jesus is saying is, now, confess this. Even as our confession in Psalm 139 said, Lord, see if there's any way within me, reveal it to me. And that whole purpose is that we would dialogue with our Lord. And when we realize that our heart is in one of those phases, hardness because we haven't dealt with sin, shallowness because we're about everything else and we're just not taking the time to stop and meditate on the glory of the gospel and on the person of Christ, or just choked out, whether it's through worldliness or just life, we take that to him and are honest and say, Lord, this is what my heart is like right now, and I can't change it. You actually are doing the work to break up the ground in order that your heart would be able to bear fruit from good soil. Because confession, repentance, is one of the ways in which we are able to be strengthened, way we are able to be renewed. And so we need to see this speaking to us as believers when Jesus is teaching this. And we need to take inventory not only today, but an ongoing practice in life, we need to know what is my heart like now and take that before the Lord, which leads us to, uh, just as I, I wrap it up, to some applications because we do need to prepare the soil because there's only one soil that is good. And it's a soil that's not of our making in one sense, but it is a soil that God is at work within us. But even as I say that, it's important that we understand just the dynamic. And, and Jesus is using metaphor here, allegory here, and as he's speaking that we are like soil, he's not speaking as if he's talking to dirt. Now, I know some of you who are gardeners or whatever, you talk to your plants, and I've heard that psychologically that's good for the plant. I, you know, I don't get it. That may be why I kill my plants. I just, they may be in resentment and they just die to spite me. I don't know. And so I don't, whatever, that's not what he's talking, but I've never heard of anybody talking to the dirt. And so there is a sense in which what he's saying is, if we're like soil, the role of, as one commentator says, look, the role, of the, the role of the soil is just to be passive and let, let the seed take root and bear fruit. And that is true for us in one sense, too. God is the one who has begun a good work in you. He's the one who is working in you. He's the one who will see that work through to the end. And so we never forget that. We never assume it's about our efforts. 
But at the same time, Jesus is talking to people and says, if you have an ear, and I've never seen dirt with ears. And so he's talking to us as those who are able to do something. It kind of goes, flows from the idea that we're to examine our hearts. We don't just examine so we say, oh yeah, um, kind of like you're a Myers-Briggs test. Yeah, I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a hard soil guy, kind of guy. Um, just the way it is. God made me that way. That's, that's not the point. The point is so that we, while understanding that we are passive and allowing God to be at work in us to bring the fruit about in us, it's also so that we take inventory and we are involved in having our soil changed to become healthy and fruitful. The question is, how do we do that? The first is, as I've been talking about, is just simply to recognize that like soil, our hearts are in a constant state of flux, and so we're in constant need of the gospel. So that goes back to the whole idea of we're in constant need of being reseeded. The gospel coming, 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 and just keep on reseeding. Even people with healthy lawns seem to do things to keep them healthy, even before they get ugly as my lawn. They just realize there's a constant need for that. You and I need to understand there's a constant need for tending of our soul. We, we're in a state of flux. It never stays the same. You may be in one place more often than others, but our lives are in a constant state of flux. That's true for all of us. We need to understand that and realize that we are in need constantly of reseeding ourselves of the gospel. And then the second part of that is we need to prepare our hearts to receive the seed of the gospel. Now, how do we do that? Well, it's intentionality. In one sense, it's as we prepare ourselves to hear the word, whether it's here as we come to here, whether it's me or Camper or any of the other uh, ministers here that will bring, come to the pulpit, and we study the Word together or whatever venue that might be, we prepare ourselves. So, for instance, if it's to prepare yourself to come to church, well, you don't begin Sunday morning. You begin by getting at least sufficient rest on Saturday night. should be a regular practice. Sometimes you can't, but most of the time we can if we make that a priority. And you get sufficient rest so that you are prepared, so that things just don't, don't go by you, so that you're not sleeping uh, through the service. We, you know, you learn very little by osmosis that way. And so rest is an important thing. The second is that we pray to the Lord that he would give us a good and honest heart. And actually we see that described. Jesus talks about it in verse 15. Um, as he's talking about, he talks about, uh, he says, for this people's hearts have grown dull. Uh, with their ears, they can barely hear, and their eyes, they have closed. He, he continues to talk about what people are like. Lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their heart. There's an understanding of the heart. We need to have an understanding, uh, an understanding heart, and that comes from God. And so we need to be praying that God would be at work within us. That's part of the cultivation and changing of our soil. We need to spend time meditating on the Word, not just on what the passage that we're going to study, but in understanding what the Word is. And so maybe before you come here to worship or in the time of meditation, or maybe before you go to your Bible study, you'll read a portion of Psalm 119. Not the whole thing. I don't know how uh, you can. That would be what it might take you a while. But just take one section of that. And what is God saying about the Word? And you're preparing yourself because you're learning about the potency of the Word, of the Gospel. And along with that is that we, um, we meditate and we prepare ourselves knowing that we, we understand with a great expectancy. God has said that his word does not come back without effect. And so when we know about the word in the soil, we are preparing ourselves. We expect God to be at work and we listen or we read with great expectancy. We need to repent of any sin or bitterness that we may be harboring. And that's easier said than done. 
It's something we constantly have to be aware of because when we are racked with anger or frustration or disappointment, we begin, it shapes the way we view things. And we, some of us get critical spirits. Some of us become depressed, discouraged. Some of us just aren't even aware. We just don't feel anything anymore. And so we need to constantly be confessing the sin. Even though it's not directly and related to hearing, it is part of preparing our soil. And whether it's in worship particularly when the service starts, think about the, the words of the hymns that we're singing or, or the words and the prayers that we are offering or confessing. Because the word will come and it will prepare you in any number of ways. And it helps us to come in humble teachability. Jesus says we are soil, not your dirt. There's difference. We are the beloved children of God. And he is speaking to us in this parable so that we would understand our need and then we would come hungry and he would be at work within us. It's an awesome promise that is fulfilled, and he is showing us that the first part of being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, since these are his kingdom parables, is to allow the gospel to shape your heart and your life on an ongoing basis. You want the treasure of being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? It begins with constant gospel renewal. May God be at work in us and among us and ultimately through us, bearing fruit in all ways. Let me pray. Father, as we do come to your word this morning, I pray that you would continually bear fruit in us. We thank you and bless you for giving us this word so that we understand both the dilemma that we share and the remedy that you offer. And I pray that as we consider this simple message, we would be about the business of tending to our own heart, seeing our need, and receiving the joy of your grace that is bearing fruit in us, even as it is throughout the world. Father, we thank you for this word and pray that your gospel would be understood to be more powerful than we can even imagine. We pray this in the name of Jesus.